Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I have got a treat, and I've got to be honest with you, I'm feeling a tad intimidated right now because this guy helps people get in shape. He is a trainer, a coach, and I'm feeling a little bit of flabby belly today. And so it's probably not the right day to have this guy on the Intentional Encourager podcast, but maybe I'll get that encouragement that I need to just kick it in gear and just finish the year strong. He is Mo Gaius, and he joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Mo, how are you doing today, brother? Doing great, Brian. Thank you for having me. Mo, let me start here with this. Everybody is talking about, and you're the right guy to ask this question, because I hear people talk about the COVID-15, where people are working from home and they're, 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 they're more sedentary, they're more stationary, they are... Uh, sitting at a desk all day instead of maybe being up moving around in an office setting or maybe as an outside salesperson, they're in and out of the vehicle and things like that. But this work from home environment has really changed that. What do you see the biggest problem with folks right now in that, hey, I'm, I'm not moving as much as I need to. I'm not doing as much as I need to. What's the common problem that triggers those types of behaviors? Yeah, totally. First of all, that's a great question to start with. Uh, because so for those of you listening, we didn't really, we, Brian didn't give me a list of questions. So this is going to be a lot of fun. So COVID-15, definitely a very real thing. I, and like when COVID started back in March here in the U.S., you notice a lot of people feel all types of emotions about it, right? It was just like, oh man, like my gym is closed. I can't go to my work. I have to work from home. Most people didn't even have a home set up. So a lot of people went through a lot of different phases. Um, definitely the lack of activity. So gyms being closed, that was the only way most people got any activity in. Some of them, even, even if they did the bare minimum, it was still something, right? And then when COVID started, people also stopped going outside. So even less activity. And then on top of that, another bad thing was happening was now people were bored. So when boredom hits, a lot of people suppress that boredom with more food. So they start snacking more. So whatever snacks they have at home, they're, they're going to eat that. So well, one of the biggest things we noticed was, okay, how do we shift that entire mindset? Well, the first thing with COVID-15, first of all, a lot of Americans, I think like over 70% of Americans did gain weight during COVID. And it was a very real thing. So, okay, how do you, how do you fight something like that where gyms are closed in most part of the country? And even in New York, I have clients in Manhattan where gyms are closing again. Um, and by the way, I'm speaking to you from the fattest state in America, West Virginia. Yeah. We're number one, baby. We are the fattest state in the, in the union, man. So, <laughs> so you know, there's, there, there's that, man. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, you know, when they sit, yeah. it's hard. It's hard sometimes, Mo, and I had to jump in there, but it's hard sometimes to be living large in a population of 1.8 million people. West Virginians just do it naturally. We just eat our way to, to, to the top, you know, but I, yeah. I love what you said there about, and, and I've got to piggyback here for just a minute about the gyms and things like that. 
you would think that people that were used to going to gyms when COVID hit would begin to transition and begin to start setting up home gyms or setting up regiments. What is the biggest advantage in going to a gym versus having a home gym? Because I, I would have to think that psychologically, and you coach people all the time and train people, is there an advantage to going to the gym as opposed to working out at home? Yeah, so there are two things. And the one word answer is environment, right? So it's just like being in West Virginia versus me being in California, right? So California, I don't think it's considered one of the fattest states just because we're coastal, everybody likes the beach vibe, it's the surfer lifestyle, it's very different health standards, right? And so it's your environment definitely shapes you when it comes to your fitness. So when you have access to a gym, depending on the gym, you are more motivated because the people that are committed enough to pay for a monthly gym membership are, they're more likely to take care of their health. So they go there, you're around those type of people. They are pushing their plateaus. They're working hard in the gym. They got their music on and they're getting after it. When you're around that energy, it, it just rewires you. It just forces you to be better in, in when it comes to your health. Because chances are, let's say like you go to the gym, you get your one hour workout in, and then you eat like crap the rest of the day. Well, the next morning when you go back to the gym, the gym won't be very nice to you. Like you will not be able to sustain that routine of training if you train properly. You cannot sustain proper training if you're not sleeping well, hydrating well, or eating well. So everything starts revolving around that. So you start fixing other areas of your life just so you could have a good workout at the gym. But at the end of the day, it was the environment. So even at home, like I have a lot of clients who have home gym setups and, and it's been working perfectly for them. But, but when you're training at home, you actually have to really make that space for it. So like I'm big on routines. So with my clients, I ask them, hey, what time do you go to bed? What time do you train? What time do you eat your meals? Because if it's not a routine, it's just a hobby. It's just something that will, like, as soon as your life gets busy, you'll throw your health out of the window. So we systematize everything. So it's like, okay, Brian, what time do you wake up? Brian's like, yeah, it depends on the day. Some days I wake up at five, some days at night. I'm like, Brian, let's change that. Let's have you, this week, I want you to wake up at 6 a.m. every day. Okay, perfect. We can do that. That's all I want you to focus on. And once we have that habit in order, then you can start systematizing other things. But in terms of home gyms, they're a great thing. I think a lot of people did not ever, ever think that their gyms would be closed. So they never even invested in a little home gym setup. But, you know, if you can get a pair of dumbbells, adjustable dumbbells to begin with, and, and put them in, your, in, in a room where you only go there to work out, well, now you just created your little home gym. And, and when your brain walks into that room, it knows it's workout time. Uh, so it's just environment, literally one word answer to your question, environment. Well, and I love what you said there about, because I've been struggling with that mode before the pandemic hit, I was very routine about what time I got up every morning and, and things like that. And I, I just felt like for me that it was, you know, I'm in the, the routine, I'm moving, I'm cranking, boom, 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 boom. Now during the pandemic working from home, I'll be honest, full tra full transparency here. I'm all over the board when it comes to what time I wake up in the mornings. So I think that's a critical point that you hit because there are some people that that have to be regimented when working from home, and they go, "Well, I have to be on the clock at eight o'clock 
-hmm. And then some people have a flexible work schedule, things like that. What, what else? And, and here's where I'm going with this question, because I think it's important. And this is what I would think that a gym environment provides the advantage of versus home gyms. I would think that the, the going to the physical gym is not only the, I paid for this membership, I'm going to use it, but it's also the other people that are there with you working out that you develop relationships with, that you meet from the gym, you have a, a relationship with them. And in some way, Mo, there isn't there an accountability to going to the gym, not only with yourself and your checkbook, but also with other people. 100%. And, and I think accountability is, is so huge. So I'll tell you a little bit about accountability in my coaching. So training with the Titans, we, when COVID started, all of a sudden, I was even surprised because all, all of a sudden, all of my clients did not have access to a gym. So now I was like, oh man, that's a new skill set that I have to learn and learning to film video workouts, learning to do all kinds of stuff. But what was funny was that looking back when we ran the numbers, realized like none of my clients, like the, the rate that they were losing weight before when the gyms were open to after, it, the rate continued. Like they, even with their limited home gym setup, we still got just as good results. And the biggest reason for that was accountability. So when COVID started, I doubled my touch points with my clients. So before we could get away with just talking to them once a week or, you know, if they ever have any questions, but now it was like, okay, twice a week, we'll be on Zoom calls and talking and, and really keeping them accountable that, hey, the goal is still on, you know, like the goal that you signed up for, the, the 30 pounds you wanted to lose, you wanted to be healthier, you wanted to be, you know, there for your daughter's wedding, or you wanted to be there for your own wedding, whatever the goal was, like it, it, accountability is huge. So when you go to a gym, and it also like, so here's where it gets weird, because there are different types of gyms. So if you were, if, if you were someone who used to play D1 college athlete, like a college sport, and you go to a, a gym that's not very inspiring and you're around other people that are not there to really be athletes, they're just there to lose 10 pounds, you're not going to be very inspired. Yeah. So you got you to gotta pick a gym wisely. Um, you got to, like, if you live in a town, for me, I traveled a lot. So I can generally, like, check out a gym and be like, yeah, this gym is not my type. Um, so if you can realize that, that's amazing. And I think a lot of people either end up getting wrong gym memberships or they just like go to one gym and they're like, yeah, I don't like the gym culture. It's too like, I get bored in the gym. I need to do something outdoors. Whenever I hear people say that, I'm like, yeah, you haven't really found your gym. Um, so it's, it's just like a double-edged sword. So you just got to find your gym and, and, and make sure the workout programs you're doing are something you enjoy. Cause that's, that's even more important than the gym. Yeah, I was probably three years ago, my son and I went together because um, the school he went to at the time, he, he, his basketball coach owned the gym. And so he was like, hey, I'll give Bryce a membership if you buy one. Okay, cool. It'd be a good time. My problem was I had bad knees already. And so I was trying to do some knee things and, and exacerbated that. I had to back off. But I tell you this, Mo, motivation for me is, and it, and it goes back to the old expression, 
the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and that's a, a scripture reference. And, and I think too, it, it, it points as well to resolutions that we make at the first of each year. I'm going to lose 30 pounds. I'm going to work out every day. It looks good on paper, but in practicality, there are days is like, I just don't feel like it. What do you, how do you motivate and encourage your clients when they come to you in, in, in those days and say, Mo, I'm just not feeling it today? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time, it's, it's less about encouraging. It's more about proper planning. So it's like, okay, when you, when people set out their new year resolutions, they're really expecting their motivation to be 100% all 365 days a week. And you know, that's not going to happen. So like my approach has always been, okay, what's the bare minimum you can do every day? So it's like, yeah. okay, once you find, once you find that, then it's a lot easier. So for you, Brian, I'll be like, okay, Brian, what, what's your daily schedule like? And you give me your daily schedule and you're like, these are the things I must do. This is for my job. This is for my family. This is this. And we're like, okay, well, that one, you know, 15, 30 minute block that we have in the afternoon or in the morning, that'll be your workout time. And that workout time, let's say like, I noticed that Brian gets after it for a few weeks and then I can just tell Brian is starting to check out, you know, something is, is not there. In that case, I'll be like, all right, Brian, I don't worry about the workouts this week. All I want you to do is instead of the 30, 45 minutes workout, I just want you to go on a walk for 15 minutes. Just literally like when that alarm hits at, at, at in the afternoon, your job is to put on your shoes and walk out of the door and go for a walk. So it's a lot of it is about momentum. It's like, okay, how can you gain momentum and get excited versus constantly having to be motivated? Because motivation, I mean, it fades. It's not what takes you there. But if you have momentum going for you, if you like, let's say you start losing weight, you start getting excited about this, you start having more energy because you're working out and you start just, just feeling amazing. And, and you, go to, you go to your buddy's place and, and, and they compliment you and they're like, damn, Brian, like you're looking good. So all of a sudden it's like all these positive reinforcers coming in yeah. and now you're, you're just five times more motivated. And then you're well, like, Mo, if all, yeah. yeah and, and, and I'll say this Mo is that I think a lot of times what happens is, and, and I don't use the word passion a lot. People will say, I'm really passionate about working out. I'm really passionate right. about this or that. The trouble with passion is, you don't wake up every day passionate. No. But here's the thing. When you are purposeful and you say, I have made a commitment to my health. I've made a commitment to working out. I've made a commitment to change my body. And I'm going to do this no matter what. That's when purpose kicks in. Do you find that people lose their passion quicker than they lose their purpose? in training or is it the other way around what what is the major setback that people run into because you just said something and i i, I want to piggyback off of that for a minute mo you said hey i noticed brian was really getting after it for a few weeks and then he he, he, he went the other way so what is the major thing that sets people back on their think, journey to get there yeah so passion purpose those are all like really good words for it so Passion changes, right? Passion can go up and down. But when it comes to your purpose, that there's another problem. A lot of people don't know their purpose. So like when you ask people for their purpose, they're like, hey man, 
I'm hiring you because I just want to lose 20 pounds. <laughs> you know, let's keep it simple. Let's not get too fancy about this. And, and I'm like, okay, we get it. Um, but the reason people lose that momentum is sometimes the pain is not big enough just yet. So like a lot of people, when they hire me, my best clients generally are people that have a crazy deadline, a deadline that is just, it's going to happen. So like there are two types of people I coach, for example, one is girls or females getting ready for their wedding day. Those, Brian, I tell you, those are some of my most motivated clients. They don't lose motivation. They just keep going. They're getting after it because they want their wedding photos to be their best photos of their life. So that's like a huge inspiration, motivation for them. On the other side is, is dads or is guys that have gained 20 pounds, 30 pounds, and, and now they're trying to get into the dating world or they're trying to date and, and they realize, oh man, like I've let myself go. So all of a sudden, like, there is enough motivation. There's enough reason to actually get after it. But at the same time, I think nothing trumps the fact that you just got to enjoy it. So one of the things that no one talks about when it comes to fitness is it, once you start getting healthier, it's even easier to just stay healthier because your body doesn't want to go the other way. So a lot of the time when you start eating healthy, you almost hate it when you eat unhealthy. But if you keep eating unhealthy, you hate it when you have to eat healthy. So it's just a habit. It's just literally a habit that once you switch those habits around, all of a sudden it's so much easier to sustain a healthy lifestyle. Like for me right now, it doesn't take motivation to train. It doesn't take motivation to eat healthy. It's just part of me. It's just part of my lifestyle. And I think those habits can be trained. You can really learn them. Yeah. Whereas genetics, metabolism, all those things are might, they might be out of your control. But habits, which are the biggest factor, are in your control. And if you can train yourself for that, get help if you need to for accountability, I think you're all set. Well, people decide for different reasons. And I'm glad you brought that up, Mo. Is it's not always health that makes people decide, I'm going to change eating habits. I'm going to change body type. I'm going to change this or that. For me, 11 and a half years ago, I had gastric bypass surgery and lost 165 pounds. For me, it was a life or death situation because my doctor said, listen, you're, you're probably going to have a heart attack if you continue at the current pace that you're on. I went the other way, man. I got really thin and I got unhealthily thin, if that's a, if that's a proper word. I was unhealthy thin. And so I looked really good and people say, oh my gosh, you know, you lost a, a person, but I was like, yeah, but I'm thinner than I need to be. I'm, I'm like way thinner than I need to be because, you know, my metabolism was overly ramped up because of taking in way less calories and really supercharging it that way to do training correctly what is the biggest thing that someone needs to have within them internally, not to just begin, but to sustain, right? Because the biggest thing I would think is not beginning to do it, but it's the sustainability of it. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing for that, and, and, and I love to uh, expand more on the calories that you mentioned, but first let's answer the training question. So the hey man, thing this is training. your interview, man. This is your no, podcast. We'll talk about whatever you want to. <laughs> I love your questions. They're great. So the training part, the way to sustain it 
is to actually make it enjoyable. So like for us, one of the first thing you notice with people that, you know, we all, this, we all have friends that go to the gym and they like go to the gym. Like that's their thing. They every day, five days a week, or, you know, they're going to the gym. For those people, it's not the workout. They're actually excited about hitting certain milestones at the gym. Hey, so, Mo, let me jump in here a minute yeah. too, because I think you're, you're on to something here that, that is really yeah. important is a lot of times for people as well too, what I've noticed is that it's, it is either a talking point or, or a, a, a bragging point to say, I'm going to the gym. Like, look yeah. at me. Look how awesome I am. I'm going to the gym. Or it's like, well, yeah, man, I'd love to go hang out with you guys and have a burger, but I'm going to the gym. And it's to make yourself look better, not physically, but from a, per but from a perspective standpoint of like, well, look at me. I'm going to the gym and doing that. It, it struck me that that was what came to mind and struck me as you were saying what, what you were saying, yeah. because to me, I've heard both sides of the, the argument, like, well, look how, look at me. And, and, and now that we're, you know, we're in an Instagram Snapchat society where people post pictures almost to, to build almost a, a, a false facade, if you will, of look at how great my life is because I'm doing these things. And in actuality, you're looking at him and going, dude, I don't really see any changes, any real 100%. physical changes. Yeah. And I think, so there, you always get people like that, right? People that are just in it to, to show off. Right. But I think at the end of the day, if you look at training as a way to make yourself better, that's where it gets addicting. So when you walk into the gym and you have certain milestones to hit, so like you see, okay, today's leg day, for example, and you're like, okay, last week I, I squatted this much. This week I'll, I'll add five more pounds. Let's see if I can do it. So if you do it, all of a sudden that, that fear and anxiety turns into confidence and you just keep repeating it. So all of a sudden now you go into the gym and you feel empowered. Or even when you miss that squat, for example, you still feel really good because you tried it. So all of a sudden now you take those skills. Like it's so common for my clients to, to go through the workouts and all of a sudden they tell me they're more confident at work. So they yeah. go to their jobs as, as professionals, as speakers, as authors, they feel more confident because all of a sudden they're, they're getting self-confidence, which is something you cannot buy with a gym membership, but it's something you, it's a part of it. You, you get more confident as you do work on yourself. So my point being on training, the way to sustain training is not with the same goal that got you started. You actually need different goals as you go through. So like the, when you get up, when you get started with training, the goal is probably pretty like, you know, vague or something pretty superficial, which is to lose 20 pounds. But as you sustain it, I've been training for, you know, many years. So it's like the way you sustain it is you have different goals as you go through the program and, and, and everything becomes more of a milestone. And then you realize to hit that milestone, I have to like do that type of training. And it's just, it's a very amazing thing because as you are doing it you're so focused on the goal but then your friends and your your family like i've inspired my mom and my dad and my family members to be more into health because yeah. they're in michigan and in michigan yeah people are not generally as healthy as people in california there's just less incentive right there's no beef there's it's just different yeah. and um so like the way that you do that is you just you don't even think about doing it you just do it because there's a goal 
But when it comes to um, second point I was trying to make was calories. So you said when you reduce your calories too much, you went from being overweight to like really thin and people saying like, hey, you look good. But deep down, you felt like shit. So the whole reason that happens is, is what we call metabolic conditioning. So a lot of the time, Americans as a whole, if you look at it, we are really good at dieting, but we're really, really bad at keeping the weight off. So for example, I'll give you a little number. So 94% of Americans that go on diets, 89% of them gain the weight back plus more. So imagine this. So like you, you lost 10 pounds on this diet, but in a year from now, you have 15 more pounds on you. Like diets are not working for America because if they were, we would not have the obesity epidemic we have right now. So the overall, I think point being is like metabolic conditioning is not nice to us. So like if you start eating too little calories, your body adapts to that too little calories and then it starts burning less and less calories. So all of a sudden you're, it's kind of like, you know, it's, look at it as a savings account or a bank account system where, you know, like the, the lower your income goes, the more you get used to spending less and less and less. But that doesn't help you make more money. That doesn't help you improve your quality of life because you're just yeah. getting used to less and less and less. Same thing with your body. So it's definitely a double-edged sword. So a lot of the time, if I have a client that's too good at dieting, I tend to worry because I'm just like, this person is way too good at dieting and they're going to diet way too much and then their body will fight back. So well, you want to stay at the maintenance, yeah. And, and for me, when, when I had the surgery, my doctor said, okay, you're going to consume 110 to 130 grams of protein a day. Mm-hmm. And so I was constantly inhaling protein to rebuild the new stomach that I, that I had. And it, and it, and, and what happens is, is protein is denser than carbohydrates. So when you're used to eating carbohydrates, you know, now I was, I was full all the time, but I still had to pump more protein into me to, to help with that. And, and, and to me, that's how I just took weight off like incredibly fast. And here's the thing, Mo, I was thinking as you were talking there, and we'll pivot here in just a minute to share your story. But when I was 330, 340, 350 wow. pounds, people would ask me, they're like, did you play football? At, I went to school at Marshall University. Like, did you play football at Marshall? Because they just thought I, I was I was 6'3", you know, 335, 340 pounds. They thought I was an offensive lineman. And I was like, oh, my. I may look like an offensive lineman, but I don't have near the strength those guys do. I have way more body fat than those guys do. I mean, offensive NFL offensive linemen are specimen. I mean, they may be 330 pounds, but it, they they probably have eight nine percent body fat and 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 a lot of muscle, just raw powerful muscle. That Strength, yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't carrying that around. So yeah, I I wanted to throw that in. Let me let yeah. me pivot quickly to your story. And for those that will watch this on YouTube, Mo's got a USA powerlifting medal behind him and some other trophies and things like that. So, Mo, take us through your story as far back as you want to go from point A to point B, how you got from where you were to where you are. Yeah, so I was – I think I'll I'll just start from my college days. So I was in college, and at that point – I've always had a passion for working out, but I just could never find a system that works. So like, just like we were saying, I just couldn't sustain it. I would go to the gym for a week, stop going for months and then go back for a few more days. And I would just yo-yo my way through it. 
and it just never worked. And then my, I was studying software engineering and computational biology, which is pretty tough subject. So if you are studying that for your undergrad, you tend to neglect your health. And, and I think there was one semester I remember when I was telling my friend at the end of the finals, I was like, hey, I didn't go to the gym once this entire semester. And, and that's how like busy you get in life sometimes and you forget about your health. So then the next time I was like, okay, the next semester came, I was like, you know what, this, I'm gonna take this very seriously now. Um, Cause my mom was type two diabetic. I was like, this is not gonna end well if I just keep living the same way. And so I, I started a soccer team in college and I was playing um, an offense position. And I remember game two, I tore my ACL. So like now my- Which is expense. a common soccer injury. Let me yeah. jump in there. I have a yeah. really good friend of mine Mm -hmm. that is in his mid-40s and had both ACLs torn but played soccer, played pick a lot of pickup soccer, club soccer, things like that from his early yeah. 20s into his early 40s. And and, and that's, that happened to him, two ACL injuries. And so, yeah. ACL, yeah, <laughs> two ACLs are no joke. So I had one and uh, I had to get it reconstructed. But I remember the pain, right, having to, like, use crutches to walk around and just you're, you're just in pain. And then when you have the surgery, it's just like you kind of like can't move for a few days. So it's Is just your knee stronger now than it was pre? Because there's a lot of – I hear with, with ACL surgeries, and the reason I'm asking is, mm. is that I hear that the knee is actually stronger with the grafted ligament than it was previous as you, as you strengthen it and you get it back. Yeah. Because guys are coming back faster. Athletes are – you know, the ACL injury used to be a 12 to 18 month injury before re returning. Now guys are coming back six, nine, and yeah. everybody's body's different. But is your knee but, stronger now than it was pre-injury? Totally. Um, and I think, so the biggest reason guys are coming back fast is due to the, the allograft and, and all the options that we have there. So it used to be they would have to, you know, take the graft out from your hamstring and then there would be two incision points and then now you have two wounds that are to be healed. But now sometimes they can just use grafts from cadavers, clean them up really good and, and make sure they're safe. And then once you use that, there's only one wound in your knee, which is the, the one that they use to alloscopically go in, arthroscopically go in. So the point being like, yeah, the recovery was what made me a fitness coach. So as I was going through that physical therapy process, it was just leg day workouts every day at the PT office. Like every day you go there, they're having you do all kinds of, because they really want you to strengthen your quads and hamstrings because for an ACL injury, those are huge. So a lot of the time when you, when you, before the surgery, the surgeon wants a certain amount of strength in your quads. And then they know as the, as they do the surgery, the strength will go down, but then you can pick back up. So for me, that process of PT was what made me fall in love with strength training because that's where the real, I, I enjoyed that so much more. I would show up to the PT office, excited, ready to go. And in that process, I was like, you know what? I'm paying a lot of money for PT. If I can build my own quads on my own with the help of my trainer, maybe the surgeon will say, okay, you don't need to do six months of PT. You can get away with just two or three. And that's exactly what happened. I started, I learned how to do barbell squats really well. And that led me to me being a powerlifter a few years later. But I started learning how to do barbell squats to help my trainer. And then I remember going back to the checkup six weeks later after surgery. 
and my surgeon was surprised. He's like, how do you build these quads so well? I was like, well, I've been, I had a trainer, so I've been like very safely learning how to squat and I've been really good at it. He goes, yeah, you know what? Come back next week. I don't think you need more PT. You should be good, but I want to see you next week. I can come back next week. He's like, yeah, you're all set. How are you feeling? I was like, feeling great. He goes, yeah, keep at it. So I fell in love with strength training in that process. And after that, that was the first day after my surgeon cleared me, I went back into the gym. I had a whole plan, the workout my trainer gave me. And Brian, that was the first day I knew I had just turned a professional in fitness because I was like, this time I won't do it like the last times because it was just the motivation was different. I had the entire plan in front of me. I, I had an accountability trainer, right? Someone that knew what to do. I had a whole diet laid out. So for the first time, this is in 20, like 13, 14. And I remember walking into the gym. I was just like, this time I'm going to make it. And yeah, six months later, or even less than that, I had six back abs. And it was just like, I was just hooked. So after that, I've never looked back. But that was the, after college, I was working at 3M. Uh, everybody knows 3M with the masks. Um, I was in their healthcare division. And yeah, I traveled throughout the country, been to 46 states. And I was working with major hospitals on how to do uh, software adoption. And then while doing that, I was traveling throughout the country. I, I kept getting fitness questions because I was a fitness model and competing on the side. And I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to do this because, you know, why not? I can help a lot of people. So then I started learning the, the sales and the marketing and, and all I got to ask you this. Yeah. I, I got to jump in here and ask you this. Was sure. there ever a fear as you were going and, and strengthening your lower body to adjust to the ACL injury? Was there ever a fear that you're going to go, hey, I'm going to get really yoked, as the kids would say, from, you know, my quads, my hamstrings, my calves, everything from the, from the bottom down is going to get yoked. But the, the, bot, the top half is going to suffer because the injury is on the bottom. Was there ever that fear that you had of neglecting your upper body strength to compensate for rebuilding the lower body? Yeah, a little bit, but I think like I never paid much attention to it because I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, yeah. I enjoyed I enjoyed training my legs a lot. So it was just like that that became part of me. And I think when I started, I I never was in it for superficial reasons. I really just wanted it to be for me. So like when I would go to the gym, it was my quiet time. It was my therapy. I don't really like, I remember the first time a, a girl or a friend of mine complimented me. He's like, holy shit, you're looking really good. And I was like, dude, thank you. Like, I was not expecting it because I was doing it for me. So it was just like, I went to the gym because I liked it. It was my time. It was my time to listen to my favorite music, get the workout done, walk out, feeling happy, all those endorphins. But when other people start complimenting you, I think a lot of people start to get compliments. And when you're getting compliments, now your training is being manipulated by what other people find sexy. So like, yeah. if you if you enjoy training your legs, but people find abs to be sexier. So now you'll be spending more time training abs. And at the end of the day, it's not that juicy. Whereas if you're training for yourself, it's a different animal. So for me, I don't think I've ever feared it. No. Yeah. See, for me, when you look like this from the neck up, you, you just, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what you work on abs, <laughs> arms, legs, doesn't, know, doesn't yeah. really matter. So, Hey, I've got to ask you, in the few minutes we have left, I, I, I've got to get, I've got to ask you about the powerlifting thing. So you mm -hmm. mentioned you, you, you got really good at barbell squats and then which led you to the powerlifting. 
when you started transitioning into doing that, was there, was there any kind of trepidation like, okay, what am I getting myself into? Or was it an all in mentality of like, man, I enjoy doing this. I got really good at it. This is just the natural next progression. Yeah. So what happened was I got into powerlifting to get ready for a physique show. So I, it was, there was a period of time and I let myself go even as a trainer. So as my business was growing, as my job was taking off, it was just like, I was so busy. I neglected my own health. So I started getting fat. And what happened was I was at a conference and all of a sudden I was inspired. I was like, you know what? I need to get back in. So my plan was, okay, I have six months and the first three months I'll train as a powerlifter and compete in a powerlifting event competition and then the last three months i'll compete in la fit expo and i'll get ready for a physique model show that's exactly the plan and that's exactly how it turned out so the first three months the training block i hired my old coach back and we literally trained as powerlifters. so it was just a very different style of training you're doing a lot of low reps and you really focused on the big lifts and then i went i competed in a powerlifting event got first place felt really good Funny enough, my weight didn't go down, but my body looked completely different than three months ago. So strength has a funny way of changing your body composition. It just, when you are stronger, you just look different. So a lot of the time when you're, when you're holding on to a lot of fat, you're generally not strong. So if you can like improve your strength or focus on that one goal, in the next three months, that'll be a game changer for a lot of people listening. So after that, I was like, okay, now let's go full-fledged on LA Fit Expo because it was coming up. So Los Angeles Fit Expo is like a pretty big expo. Um, like thousands of people fly all over the country to come compete there or to be there. So for me, I was like, okay, I live in LA. I have to do this. So for me, it was just like, okay, I got to lean out. So I spent next 15 weeks or so after winning the uh, powerlifting to compete in a physique show. And there I got fourth place, which was really good for LA Fit Expo. And um, I just remember thinking, okay, the plan really worked out. So for me, powerlifting... And, and physique, they kind of go hand in hand, even though they're both very different, two different worlds. And I think in the long run, I enjoy physique more because I like, I enjoy being leaner. It just feels good. I, it had, it, it's like, I can be more clear. And whereas with powerlifting, there's only one goal and that is to push the most amount of weight possible. Whereas in physique, it's all inclusive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, I have tremendous respect for you. I've got a couple more questions and, and I want to go here for just a minute. Take me through the biggest obstacle that you, you faced in your life. Was it tearing the ACL? Was it, was it something else that you faced? And what was the biggest lesson you learned from it, Mo? Yeah, I think the biggest obstacle would be my family moved to the United States when I was in eighth grade. And the biggest obstacle being none of us knew English. So I had to learn how to speak English before my parents could, or like I, I, I had to be an adult of the family at the age of 13, it felt like. So when you're going to a job interview with your dad at the age of 13 to translate, you get to be very good at certain things because it's a necessity. So for me, those days, I, I don't think anything compares to those days in terms of like the obstacle difficulty. But they were also the best lessons of my life. Like I wouldn't take it back. What like, prompted your what what prompted your family to move to the United States? You were thirteen, yeah. and and I've had people on this podcast yeah. that moved to the U.S. from other countries when they were eight, nine years old. Yeah, you were a, a teenager when you moved to the United States. What was it that made your family move to the to America? 
it was better education. So we knew, we were, I mean, pretty well off even in Pakistan because no one who comes to America is, is poor generally. So like you have to like pay the ticket, you have to pay a lot of money to like get the whole uh, legal process happen. So for us, it was just like, they just wanted better education for us because um, they knew if I work hard, I can make it. And, and I think that was the biggest motivator when I look back on my parents' motivation. Um, even though they've had to work harder here than they do there in Pakistan, because here you have so many different bills to pay. Whereas over there, we own the house, we own the land, we own, I mean, it was very, it's a very self-sufficient society. Whereas in the U.S., literally there's a bill for everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a bill for electric, gas, telephone, you know, like the lot rent. And then if your house is sitting on something, your mortgage, I mean, it's, like property taxes the, the whole yeah the whole the whole kit and caboodle uh man i yeah. i can't imagine that but you guys have have done well you you've done yeah. well especially last question i ask this on every podcast what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for somebody out there going i really want to change my life i really want to change my health i really want to reshape who i am physically because i think it'll reshape other parts of my life What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for folks like that? Yeah. So before you overthink it, just start. So the biggest thing I tell people is to just start. And where do you start? Well, you don't worry about the diet. Don't worry about a lot of other things because you'll get too confused and you won't even start. Just focus on workouts or the training side of things. So whether that your workout is 15 minute walk, whether that workout is going to a gym membership whatever it is for you start with the exercise start with the exercise don't get too lost in nutrition and don't get too lost in all the other fancy things out there start with the basics so a lot of the biggest problem i see with people lacking encouragement is they're really picturing building a taj mahal so they see this like giant monumental goal they want to achieve but what they forget is you just gotta lay one brick a day if you lay that one brick a day in three months from now, six months from now, it'll compound and you'll have a Taj Mahal. But if you just keep focusing on the Taj Mahal, you lose the battle every time. So one day at a time, just literally start with a 15 minute a day exercise. And, and obviously I have a lot of free resources that if your listeners want access to them, I'll definitely give you the links. Um, but overall, yeah, like just start. If you can get in momentum, you'll win. Mo, this has been a blast, man. I've so in, so enjoyed your insight and in, in the conversation yeah. we've had. Tell folks how they can connect with you, where they can connect with you. You mentioned some of those free resources. Th this is your opportunity to just share how folks can get connected with you. Yeah, totally. So I'm, I'm very active on Facebook and Instagram um, or even on LinkedIn. So you just got to look up Mo Gaius. It's the same name for everything. So M-O-E. G as George, H as a horse, I as India, as an apple, as a Sam, Mo Gaius. And then if you want access to my free ebook, just go to bit.ly slash coaching by Mo. And there you'll find a restaurant eating guide that we're giving out right now. So it'll teach you how, if you like eating out, how can you eat out without sabotaging your diet? So Mo Gaius, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or you can get the free resource at bit.ly slash coaching by Mo. That's Mo Gaius, M-O-E-G-H-I-A-S. Mo Gaius, you can also go to mogaius.com and find him there. Mo, this has been a blast, man. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you so much, Brian. I was honored to be here.
My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be 